Welcome to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. With over 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert at taking people on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery. Join Susie as she talks to remarkable people who share their insights and lessons for living a purpose-driven life to inspire you in your own journey. Today's guest on Empowered Conversations is Ben Day. Ben is 52. He's a father of two daughters, aged 15 and 25. Ben was married for nearly 20 years and separated in 2014. He is now divorced. Um, Ben is a financial advisor and also someone who struggled with depression since his father died in 2001. Um, He says it's been a constant daily battle. Ben, thank you for joining me on Empowered Conversations and, you know, agreeing to share your journey. My pleasure. Ben, I do want to um, really dive into um, into talking about depression because firstly, the reason I, you know, hoped you would share your journey is because we know that when it comes to men's mental health um, and depression, it's not something that is widely spoken about, or I suppose we could say it's beginning to, but, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what your journey has been like with depression and what's kind of, you know, what, what precipitated depression in your life? It all started, as you said, back in 2001 when my father died. My father was a, um, you know, father, the same as everyone else's father is very important to them in the vast majority of circumstances, but um, I worked with my dad uh, very closely for a number of years. And even before that, we were we were like mates and um, we'd go to Grand Prix together and um, MotoGPs and uh, um, football and, and we were very much like best mates. Um, and he got cancer and and became very, very ill. And this is a man who'd never been sick in his life and um, at the age of uh, 69 got cancer and was dead by 71. And it it had a massive impact on me and um, especially when he died, um, it left a big hole in my life and um, it it impacted me in, in, in a very, very strange way I found at the time um, that I just shut down. Um, I shut down with my wife at the time, um, not my kids. Um, I can put my hand on my heart and say that that, um, that didn't impact uh, my, my care or um, communication or um, experience with my daughter. I only had one daughter at that stage. Um, it was probably my one outlet where I really let go um, of myself. But in every other part of my life, I um, I just shut down uh, in communication. I didn't speak to people. And I was even speaking to a woman who I'm very good friends with now, who I work with, who met me during that period. And she said that she didn't like me at all um, mm. when she met me. And um, now knowing uh, what she knows about me, she said she um, that I was a completely different person to the person that I am today, and and uh, and that probably went on for about four years, and um, that I just um, struggled in a in a massive way um, 
to deal with my father's death and um, I got some counselling help which helped me out the other end of it and just and it probably never really um, went away um, but uh, I certainly got better from the counselling that I got at that stage um, and uh, then um, jumping ahead I, I um, was diagnosed with leukemia in 2010 and went through chemo in 2011 and came out the other side of the chemo um, uh, and that went for eight months with depression again and it was much more severe uh, and different um, than it was previously and I went and saw my GP and who put me in touch with a um, very, very good therapist at the time and I went and saw him and I, I went back and saw my GP and I said, look, I just uh, the therapy's been fantastic, but I just cannot shake this. And um, just ben, this. Ben, I just want to ask you, what was it like that time? Because you said it was it was much, you know, the depression was the second time around after looking. So in, in what respect? Okay, the, the first time it was more about anger um, and frustration uh, with my dad. Mm. Um, and, and that's where I... Um, really struggled to um, cope with the fact that he died. I didn't, um, uh, and and anger in that he got sick, anger that he died, and angered with the way that I treated him during his illness. I I was I really really struggled to get my head around that. That I didn't handle it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and considering we were so close, I I had a lot of um regret and um, anger at myself that I, I didn't handle that better. So it was more anger. Mm. I was a very, very uh, angry man uh, during those four years, I can say, um, and um, and very internal. As I said, I didn't speak to I didn't lash out or anything like mm. that. It wasn't like that. I just internalised it all. The um, After the chemo, it was sadness. Um, it was just a daily sadness where I just couldn't find any joy in my life. And, um, and so that that's, was really the difference. There wasn't the anger that I had previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I certainly was still able to be social. Um, and um, one of the things that the chemo um, going through, the chemo and the and the cancer to a lesser degree, but the you know the struggle with the chemo because it was very difficult was um, it changed my life not in the way that some people talk about. Um, I just decided to try to be a better person um, during after, ke- after chemo. After chemo, mm. I, yeah, yeah, and I just wanted to be nicer to people. I probably had the realization of um, how. Um, I how angry I'd been and, and how that had manifested itself in my treatment of people and um, I, I, things like um, just people serving me in a cafe, it's simple, simple things like that, mm. that, I, that I wouldn't smile at them, I wouldn't thank them um, and I decided that that wasn't a great way to go through life, um, being so rude and so um, I decided to changed my life in that way um but i just had this 
uh, nagging sadness um, that I just couldn't shake. Um, but, yeah, I just – each day was uh, a struggle to find any joy. And, and probably um, people around me compared to my previous – uh, the previous way I was um, wouldn't wouldn't have known it at all um, because I was making an effort to be much more um, gregarious, I suppose, um, in in and and polite and um, and open to people than I had been before. But yeah, just really struggled with um, uh, finding finding joy in my life. So, so as you're, um, so as you're going through this this difficult time, um, particularly the sec, sec, you know the second um, time and experiencing depression, what you're saying is um, there was sadness to it. You you try to um, you made a decision to be a better person, but despite that, it was so hard. Um, it was just hard. It was a struggle to get, you know, I imagine to get out of bed each day and to get on with the day. But did did people know, did close people in your life know how hard it was for you? No, no, not at all. Uh, and during that time, I didn't speak to anyone about it at all uh, other than um, the psychologist that I was seeing and, mm. my, and my GP. I um, Obviously, through the cancer and chemo, I'd been seeing my GP a lot. Mm. And, and why not, Ben? Why, what, what, you know, like for you, what was, what was the, what stopped you? Uh, it, that's an easy one to answer. I didn't understand it. Mm. Mm. Um, it wasn't any more complicated than that. It wasn't that I didn't want to speak to people. It wasn't that I was being, um, sheltering myself or I just didn't understand. I, I, to be honest, would have had no idea how to start a conversation as to what was going on in my head because I just didn't I didn't get it. There were, I actually was in a good place. Mm. Um, I had fully recovered from the leukemia, um, gone into full remission. I was feeling physically as good as I'd felt for probably ten years, mm. and um, financially everything was fine. Um, so there was no real. Um, there was nothing that I could actually say to people, you know, this is why I'm feeling this way because of this and or, you know, so it wasn't anything more complicated than that. Uh, and and that, that was the, the real reason why I eventually went back to my GP and said, you know, the therapist is fantastic and he was, but I need more. And, and he'd actually been pushing me previously to get onto some medication and 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 I'd been resisting it, and finally I said, "Yeah, okay." And and the turnaround once I was on the medication, I only went on it for twelve months. Um, but the turnaround uh, was dramatic in my whole outlook on life. Virtually, as soon as I went on the medication, it was quite startling, and um, and I was able to um, get a real. The way I always described it, going on the medication, is it reset my brain. Um, mm-hmm. so I trained it to, to stop thinking in the negative way that I'd been thinking. And, and so on a daily basis, I was thinking more positively 
um, because of the medication. And and I, I felt like, I don't know, you, you'd have a better idea of how it all works. I actually haven't looked into it that, but it felt like it was retraining my brain. Mm-hmm. And and eventually um, uh, I decided to um, come off it and did that slowly as you meant to and um, eventually stopped it altogether. And then... Um, At what point um, were you able to talk about um, what you were going through with others, like particularly your family at that time? Uh, I don't think I ever did. I mm. don't think I have to this day. Mm. Um, it was, and again, it was just, it felt like a very, um, I never felt like I was in danger during this time um, of, you know, doing anything stupid or it wasn't anything like that. It was just a constant, yeah, just a constant sadness that I wanted, I, did, I knew what wasn't normal mm. and that um, I, I wanted some help with. And so I think if I had have thought that um, if my behaviour had been different or if I had have thought that I was um, uh, losing control in some way, um, or putting myself in some sort of risk of doing something stupid, I, I, I may have uh, reached out, but I didn't. And mm. uh, just for that reason, uh, and again, I, I, honest to God, had no idea mm. how to actually talk to anyone about it. Um, and even thinking back about talking to the psychologist, you know, mm. they are very general conversations and and. You know, as I said, he was extremely good at what he did, but very general conversations and not really, uh, there wasn't anything specific about it. I think that's what was the most frustrating part about it as well. It's, um, Mm. you know, I just was sitting there going, I don't understand why I feel this way. I actually shouldn't. Mm. And, and. As you're sharing that, what's coming to me and what so many people come into the room with and certainly what I've felt at different times at different points in my life is I don't understand what I'm, t- what I'm feeling, what's going on for me, so how can I talk about it? with others. Yeah. And I wonder if that's related, you know, if that's what you related to at the time, not that I went through, you know, um, clinical depression, but I'm just thinking about a lot of people who are suffering from depression that they don't understand it. So from your own experience, how much of that plays in, well, I don't understand it. So how can I talk about it and finding that, a starting point? It makes it incredibly difficult to, to find a starting point and find an end point. Mm. And and I think that's why, as I said, I went to the medication because there just wasn't any uh, anything that was that I could pinpoint as to why I was feeling the way that I did. And um, the uh, there was another doctor who was sort of caring for me at the time, and he just said, um, he just looked at me and smiled, and he said, after what you've been through, which he was talking about the chemo. Mm. He said, everyone needs a brain reset. He said, it's like pressing reset on your computer. And he said, this is all we're doing. We're resetting it because of what you've gone through. It was a traumatic period. You know, um, I didn't mention it, but I nearly died on two occasions. And um, I I laughed it off, those two things. But maybe they had a bigger impact on me than I actually realised. So... Is that you know, during leukemia, during the treatment? Is that when you say the, you two occasions where you almost died? 
Yeah, so the first day of chemo, I um, mm. I there's a bit of story behind it, but I, cut a long story short, I just collapsed mm. after five hours in the chair, and um, for five minutes they couldn't find a pulse or a blood pressure, and um, and uh, you know I knew I knew it at the time, but that's not uncommon for chemo. Um, it's it's not a good thing, <laughs> and mm. um, the um, and so the. Uh, at the end of um, my eight months of chemo, um, two days after I'd finished my last session, I got rushed into hospital with pneumonia. And because I had um, no immunity because of the chemo, um, the pneumonia right. nearly took me out. Right, yeah. And, and so I, I had I, I went in on the Thursday night and I was basically unconscious for the whole of Friday mm. and apparently nearly died on Friday and nearly died on the Saturday after it. That's pretty traumatic. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I just wonder how many, how many stories are there out there of people who, and again, I see this in my rooms all the time, who say, I don't know why I feel the way I do. I shouldn't be feeling this way. When, when you think about, and you've met a lot of men, you know, over the years who've struggled with depression, I imagine, and considering your own journey as well, What's the hardest thing about um, about this, like going, you know, suffering through suffering from depression and trying to navigate your way through that? What's the hardest thing about, it, especially being a man? I think there's a couple of things. I think finding people that you trust enough to confide in, and I think it's incredibly important um, to be able to have someone. And I was lucky enough to have. Um, one of my favourite people in the world who's my brother, who um, this is the third time I went through it that I haven't spoken about yet, but he he spoke to me on a regular basis um, to make sure I was okay. And I've also got a best mate who he has been through similar experiences to me and we, we talk um, regularly and always have. He's, we've been friends since for 40 years. And um, I trust them absolutely, totally, and I can tell them anything. And it's one of the things I value most in friendship, um, partnerships or whatever it happens to be is um, not to be judged. And I think the uh, – it's it's difficult to say because it's, it's not right, but there's a lot of shame um, for, for men um, to – and I, I know it's it shouldn't be, but there is mm. um, going through this. And so speaking to people, even speaking to a, a doctor um, about how you're feeling, and especially when you don't understand how you are feeling, you just know that you're not right. Mm. Um, one of the benefits that I've had from, if, if, if you can call it that, from from struggling with mental health is that I recognise it now and I, I worry for, um, especially after what we've gone through over the last 18 months with COVID and everything like that, the amount of uh, people who are struggling with mental health who have never struggled with mental health before mm. and don't actually understand why they're feeling the way they're feeling and don't understand that they are actually suffering from depression or anxiety or whatever it happens to be. And so... Yeah. The reason the reason that I was able to um, click into it fairly quickly after my chemo um, 
and go and seek help was because I've been through it before. And right. I knew I knew that after my dad died, I wasn't right. And so when I felt, even though it was different, I just knew I wasn't right. So I was able to go and uh, seek help immediately. But I think there's one of the greatest difficulties, and I, I'm a lot freer in speaking about it now than I was uh, back in the day, Mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I'm, I'm six foot two and 105 kgs and and I've been the um, support person for a lot of people, especially my family. And to, to be weak in my mind um, is really, really hard for me to take and I don't like it and I... Uh, until um, this third bout, bout of it, I've been really reluctant to talk about it because I felt weak and, and uh, not like a man, not like I should be. Mm. And it's one of the things that I've overcome in, I've come full circle with that and understood it's, you know, why, why would I be so comfortable talking about my struggles with leukaemia? But not my mental mental health. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's a it's an illness that you deal with. And um, but I think for men, um, especially, it's uh, first of all, as I said, having someone close enough to you that you trust enough to be able to talk to about issues, and knowing that there is no judgment is is a real big problem for a mm. lot of men. And um, second of all, getting over that fact that, you know, I shouldn't be this way. I'm meant to be the rock of the family. I'm meant to be the rock of the work. I'm, you know, I'm meant to be strong. I'm meant to be this. And, and here I am, I'm crying, you know, and I don't know why I'm crying. Mm. What What's that about? You know, it's, um, it's uh, I, I think also for me, you know, uh, my dad was probably – the most gregarious, um, positive um, person you'd ever meet and seemed to revel in any challenge that he was sent his way. In fact, I I spoke to him one day and I I actually asked him and said, how do you do do it? How do you have all these challenges? He, He... um, Mum and he had ten kids, and they struggled all their life financially and all sorts of things. And I said, "How did you, um, a, a, along with all the challenges that comes with just having kids?" And I said, "How do you do it with a smile on your face, and you, you, you look like you even, you know, you like it?" And he said, "No, I love it." He said, "I love the hard times. I love the tough times." And he said, "How can you enjoy the good if you don't have the bad?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "When you have the bad, you know you're alive." And he said, I want to be alive. I want to experience everything life's got to give. And that's fantastic. It's a, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's an incredible philosophy. It's incredibly hard to follow. Mm. <laughs> when yeah. You, yeah. When, especially when you are not feeling that way. Yeah. And you feel that everything that comes your way, no matter how minor it is, is smashing you. And you've got a dad who who wasn't like that at all. 
and he's your role model and your hero and you feel like you're letting him down. It probably is more a man's perspective than it is um, anything else that, you know, you you try to, when you do have a good dad, you try to emulate them and, and um, live up to them. And, and mm-hmm. I, think, I think in a lot of circumstances too, you put them on a platform um, or a, on a pedestal that they probably don't deserve as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't see their, as a child or even a young adult, you don't see a lot of their shortcomings until you're actually older and got a better perspective and you can say, ah, actually, yeah. they weren't superhuman. They Such had, an important um, point. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that um, makes life very difficult. When you look back now, um, where are you at with um, your experience when you look back on depression, on your struggles with that and talking about your feelings? Um, yeah, how are you with that now? It's a really good question because the, the, I think outwardly um, I am extremely open about it. I don't hide it. Um, I... Um, my, part of my job is that I often find out that um, my clients are dealing with depression in one way or another um, and I'm able to speak to them um, with empathy because I, I – and I'll, I'll quite happily tell them straight away that I understand because I, I'm struggling with it myself. And so – but after saying that, on a daily basis, I still do go back. I still go back to how can I be like this? You know, so it's I'm accepting of it a million times better than I was before. I'm much more open about it, and I'm much more happy to speak to people about it. All my family know about it now, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of had to because of the third time I went through it. There was a bit of a, a an event mm-hmm. um, that I. I so this will give you a bit of an idea. Um, so last year I, I went back onto medication again um, after not being on it for a number of years, for many, many years. And um, the um, when I was speaking to my GP about it and who is wonderful, um, he said, um, have you told your work? And I said, no, why would I tell them? And he said, because they need to know, mate, you know, if you're uh, struggling as much as you are, they need to understand that you're struggling. And and I, I hadn't even considered that that was something that was a good idea, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, that this is private, this is my struggle, it's got nothing to do with them, I didn't want to put that on them. And I and I was actually quite defensive at at, the, at what he said, and you know, um, why? And this is personal, mm. you know. Why? Why? I, why would I tell work? You know, it's got. Then I sat and considered it for about a week because that's my nature um, to to think about things a little bit too much. But I sat and thought about it and rang um, both of the people I work with. I just explained what's going on and they were incredibly grateful for because they'd noticed that I'd changed and 
um, they were aware that I was struggling. Like it wasn't, um, they hadn't said anything to me, but neither one of them were going, oh, my God, I had no idea. Mm. And, um, and they supported me incredibly, incredibly. And it was one of the best things that I did was actually just, and, and it was a bit of an eye-opener for me to, to go, you know, this is just not, and, and also that we're, as a society, doing ourselves a disservice by continually uh, avoiding talking about it. Ben, as a, uh, just to follow on from that, like as an employer, um, if and, and for someone who has been through depression, as an employer, what could what could they be doing differently? Um, and especially when it comes to men, but also certainly anyone who's depressed. I, I think it's the same as exactly what we were talking about earlier. I think it's the same as we've got a woman at work who's going through um, cancer. And and we go out of our way to understand um, what she's going through. And I've got treatment and so, okay, we can work around that and we do this. And any other health condition, you fall down and break your leg, what does your employer do? You know, your employer goes, okay, what we can do is we understand you can't come into work. We'll set up a computer or, you know, you need to take time off, you'll take time off. Whatever it happens, whatever mm. the health condition happens to be, mm. Your employer will learn about it very quickly when you're taking time off and you're not getting the job done and you explain, well, you know, I've um, had gastro for two days. Okay, I understand that. I understand what gastro is. And so thanks very much for letting me know. Um, uh, let us know when you're better. Whatever, you know, mm. these are these are things that employers deal with on a daily basis. My, my, again, I talk about my dad a lot and he used to say, if they don't know, they don't know. <laughs> so how can you expect people to help you? How can you expect people to get involved in your life to make it easier for you? Mm. How can you um, expect them to support you when they've got no idea? And so I think a lot of it comes back to answer the person, the individual themselves actually mm. uh letting them know. And and to answer your question in a really long-winded way, I'm sorry, but I don't, I, I don't know that there's anything that the employer can do mm. except listen to the employee and work with them for what they need. Because as, as you know better than anyone, everyone's different and everyone's mental health battles are different. Mm. And so having a... Um, you know, this is the way that we deal with this just yeah. isn't going to work for every single person. So I think the only thing that they can do is show kindness and consideration and understanding and work with the person and help them any way that they possibly can. And um, the, the thing that I want to add to that, Ben, and I'm sure that you can add to this too, is oftentimes colleagues or maybe bosses or maybe those that are not so aware of that, I don't know, may be afraid to ask for fear of mm, making the wrong assumption. But there's a way of just asking, you know, we know about the are you okay day, like what's the harm in asking, are you okay, is everything okay, I've noticed a change. I mean, can you speak more on that? Like I know it's such an obvious thing, but why isn't it done often enough It's an, if it's an obvious thing? Oh, I, I think you're 100% correct. And I think the the 
massive step forward is uh, are you okay? Now, you ask me, are you okay? My answer is yes. And so what you follow it up with is where it becomes very, very difficult uh, for people to do, but I think very important. Are you okay? I've noticed there's been a change. Mm. And that's where people open up because are you okay is magnificent and I would never, ever bag it because it's a it's a huge step forward. But are you okay, what's going on? You know, I've, and, and I've never been afraid to hit people between the eyes. You know, I've, I've really noticed that there's been a, you know, why did you speak to that person that way? You know, you work with someone mm. and I noticed the way that you snapped at them and you've never done that before. What's going on? You know, and, and you can actually be quite upfront, I believe, you know, that this behaviour is not you. It's not that yeah. your behaviour, it's not, not saying, um, you know, I'm chastising you for your behaviour. I understand that that's not the way you behave. So I'm really concerned and I think that's the other thing. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about you, have I got a right to be concerned? Mm. And people, and, and then then you're actually asking people to open up and, and if they say, no, everything's fine, and, and then as an employee you have a right to turn around and go, well, don't do that again. If everything's okay, don't speak to that person that way. That's not acceptable. Yeah. But if they turn around and say, well, actually, um, I'm really struggling at the moment and uh, I find it very hard to get up every day and come into work and, and the slightest things are really setting me off. Okay, what are you doing about it? What can we do to help? What would you like us to do? Yeah. How can we, you know, so I think it's, and it's a difficult one. You have to have a, um, well, it, really, you have to carry in and have some consideration about your employees, which we know a lot of people don't. Mm. Um, and you also have to have a relationship with them for the fact that you, um, you know, see, I, I saw a thing the other day where it said um, uh, yelling at an employee for making a mistake doesn't fix the mistake. Mm-hmm. It only it only teaches them how to hide the, the next mistake. And... And it's similar to this sort of thing. If you're getting frustrated at an employee and you've never asked them, are they okay? You know, what's going on? Especially when it's different when it's just stock standard behaviour for them. And then you've got a, that's a different issue altogether. But when you see someone who's never been um, uh, cruel in their life or or their time working there, all of a sudden, Snapping at someone or being nasty or saying things out of turn, yeah. Then, then it's you know, I sit down and can we have a chat? I just want to make sure you're you're okay because I've never seen this behaviour before, and it's a much nicer conversation than what the hell are you doing? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. There's such important points, and I don't think that we're nearly having enough conversations, specifically around just you know talking openly about well, what do we say? How do we? 
I'm, I'm sure there are training sessions that are run, but I'm not sure what's happening when it comes to actually practicing that. Um, I wanted to come back to you in terms of where are you at with your journey, you know, with your own mental health, depression, what are you continuing to learn? What's continues to be a struggle for you? Yeah. Um, last year I had, uh, probably, probably my worst moment ever. Um, the, um, I'm in, I'm in Melbourne and, uh, we were in the coming towards the end of the four month lockdown. And, um, and I actually sat down, um, I don't watch the news anymore. Uh, and I haven't done that for years because it just doesn't, um, do anything for me. So, um, so I never watched the news, but I sat down to watch the press conference to find out what restrictions were being eased because I hadn't seen my daughter who lives in northeast Victoria for four months. And I was really looking forward to seeing her and I believe that the the press that was coming out the week before was indicating that um, – there was going to be a uh, relaxing of restrictions, which would mean that I could go and see her. Um, and, uh, of course, the press conference happened and, and that wasn't the case. And um, I, I completely lost my mind. I, <laughs> I don't know how else to. Um, and uh, I actually did reach out, which was... Um, I, I fought not to do, but I reached out to my family on Messenger and I just sent a message to everyone on Messenger and said, um, but it, was a, it wasn't a good message. Um, it basically said um, no one's to contact me and no one's to talk to me about lockdowns. Um, I will not be talking about it again. And, uh, and um, Was that your pretty, way of reaching out? Oh, 100% it was. A hundred percent it was. And they recognized that um, one of my sisters, um, I, I was sitting watching TV and the TV was turned off. So that's the state I was in. Mm-hmm. And I was watching TV uh, with nothing on it and fuming um, and thinking uh, probably the worst thoughts that I've ever thought in my life. And um I got a call from my sister and I wasn't going to take it, but I did because she gets angry at me if I don't answer her phone calls. And um, so I took it and she said, open the gates. And uh, and she'd just driven over. Mm. And so she spent the night with me and, and, you know, there was a lot of, it was, you know, I'd just keep bursting into tears and um, for the fact that I still couldn't see my daughter. And, uh and it was a very difficult night for her and it was a very difficult night for me. And um, I went and saw my GP uh, that week and said, I'm in, I'm in real trouble. And he put me on medication and I, I, the medication he put me on was um, made me worse. And so I went straight back and saw him. He changed it and, and it's been fantastic um, ever since then. But it's still a daily battle. Um, for me, um, and I get a rude, rude awakening every now and again about how far I am from um, good. Uh, I had a um, uh, warning that 
I was sitting and thinking the most horrendous thoughts. And it was just simply about the uh, my daughter and my daughter was going to hate me and, you know, uh, all these sort of things and just just terrible thoughts that were not normal for my day. And I was it was a Saturday morning and I was just sitting having a cup of tea just and I'm going, oh, my God, what's going on with my head? And like, why? And then I realised that I hadn't had my medication for two days, and went back in and had my medication, and it was sort of a wake up call that I'm not right, and that I need that. And I had my medication, and I felt better after that. So it was, you know, this this time around, it seems to get worse each time I I have this run. Um, this time around has been much worse than the previous ones. And even with the medication, I still have very, very dark thoughts that I've never, ever had before. Uh, the medication was working very well and I I, I started, but um, I went and saw my GP again and I said, uh, mate, I need, I need to speak to someone um, desperately because uh, the medication's fantastic, but I need more. Mm. I need more than that. And that's when I reached out to you and, and, uh, um, again, it was one of the smartest things I ever did, but, you know, because I was just, I was going too dark mm. and I just needed strategies to be able to combat the, um, these places that I was going to. Mm. And I think everyone will understand what I'm talking about. It's, um, listening. It's, it's, uh, you know, and that's just never been anything part of what I've even ever thought of. Um, even when the hardest times during my divorce, mm. I never ever thought um, about any sort of self harm or anything. But uh, this time around, it just was a almost a nightly event, and and on some nights much worse than others. And and so I just needed to speak to a professional to, you know, and it's something that I talk to people all the time about now. And I think coming back to what you were saying before, mm. you know, how, how I am with communicating how uh, my illness, when I speak to people nowadays and they start talking about anything going on in their lives that in, the, in a similar sort of way, and uh, you know, just with depression or anxiety, I just say get help. Get you don't have to you don't have to struggle on your own. Yeah. Get professional help. Get and if if your doctor says you require this is my my professional advice to everyone. <laughs> um, with <laughs> with a big disclaimer, I'm not a professional. Um, but if your if your if your doctor says uh, you need medication, don't be stupid like me and fight going on medication because it, it turned my life around and, um, and you know, speak to a, a professional um, psychologist because they, um, uh, the difference it makes is, is dramatic and it can't be, uh, and it's similar to what I, what I keep saying to people when I talk to them about it. And like I said, I'm very open about it now. Um, it's like anything else. Um, there's another side to it, Susie. Men are, men are idiots, and I've said this all my life, that women are, women are so much smarter than men because when a woman's unwell, 
they go to the doctor. <laughs> Men don't. You know, it, it's it's actually in my industry, it's actually a fact, and it's how they rate insurance policies for life insurance and other things. They they rate life insurance is more expensive for men um, than it is for women. And it's mm. because men don't go to doc, go, don't go to the doctor and they die. Mm. Women do and they recover. But disability cover is more expensive for women because they go to the doctor. Right. And so that, that it's actually it's not even me making it up. I've been aware of this for a long, long time. And the problem is that men will fight tooth and nail. Uh, whereas women are much more likely to go. Actually, I need help, and I don't need to feel like this. But what I've found through my illnesses over the years, and I'm talking about leukemia and the things that come mm. after it, like pneumonia, you don't have to suffer with it. Yeah. Um, I had just as simple things like um, I had problem with my gallbladder, and and I avoided having an operation for 12 months and went through 12 months of misery. And finally, I had a major attack and the doctor said, you've got to have your gallbladder out. And I said, yeah, no worries, had it out. And as soon as I had it out, I felt a million times better. And I thought, what an idiot I am to have not have done that straight away. And it's typical of what men do, but they, don't, they shouldn't. And mm. you, what, so what I say to people is you don't have to suffer with this. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it, Ben, to really emphasise that, whatever well, that is. It's the same as any other illness. Yeah. You don't, yeah. you know, that, that, that they can treat. You don't have to suffer with it mm. and, you know, get it treated and move on. But Ben, I've got a question. Um, I'm just aware of our time, so we're going to have to finish up. But I, sure. I, I want to ask this question. Given the number of episodes of depression you've gone through, what are, and, and, you know, what you've been through each time. Now at this point in your life, when you reflect back, you know, what are you continuing to learn about yourself having gone through what you've gone through? Um, I learned that I'm not Superman, um, that I'm a human being and I give myself a lot more consideration than I used to. Mm. I'm, I'm kinder on myself than I used to be. Um, I accept my frailties more than I would ever have before and I'm constantly aware of um, the changes in my in in the way that I feel and it, and I actually accept it a lot better than I used to and mm. um, I, I understand that it's 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 okay you know it's okay I keep saying it's okay not to be okay. You know, yeah. when people talk to me about it, it's okay not to be okay. And I, I think it's a, a problem with modern society is that, you know, we're told that we need to be happy all the time and it's just not true. It's that there's never been a time in history of the world that people have been happy all the time. And to one of the difficulties with mental health is that you have this expectation you should be happy all the time. And, um, Whoever said that we're meant to be happy all the time? It's actually, I actually spoke to an underwriter about it years ago. They wanted to put an exclusion on the person for for being seeing a therapist for their son for mental health. And I, and, I, and I had a real big argument with the woman and I said, I said, every day of our lives, we are happy, we're sad, 
you know, we're depressed. We're every every feeling we go through almost on a daily basis, and every one of them is normal. That is so but, true, and that is so important to mention. Yeah. And we're, and you know, I wonder how much of our life is about really learning to accept that um, that happiness is futile, but acceptance of maybe not feeling happy and exactly what you're saying is more around, yeah, what we're, what we're having to learn and, and accept about ourselves. Ben, thank you so much. Um, any lasting comments or anything that you want to add to what you've just shared? Uh, I, I was just going to say, and I think it's, it's a fair point at the end, I think that's where women are so much smarter than men. You know, I grow up with seven sisters and one of the things that I'm aware of is that when when, when women cry, there isn't anything necessarily to fix. It's just that they uh, need to cry sometimes and, and men fight that urge and women understand that, no, sometimes I just need to cry. There's nothing There's nothing needs to be done about it. Just uh, understand that I need to cry. And I think, um, you know, I think women have got it all over men um, in so many areas in, in relation to this. They just understand. But men need to start waking up to the fact that, you know, if, if you feel bad that's actually a part of life mm-hmm. and it's not doesn't mean that you're weak and it doesn't mean that you um failing it actually means that you're a human being and you we all feel good and sometimes we feel bad and and that's being human so let yourself be human and um but if it starts to get away from you for god's sake get help it's out there go get it ben thank you so much for sharing this it's i, I really hope that it Um, reaches those who need it most. I agree. Thank you for listening to Susie Petruzzi's Empowered Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, visit susiepetruzzi.com.